In Nehemiah, in chapter 7, uh, we are going to look this morning at uh, the concept of citizens of the city. And I, I think that it, it, it's great because as we consider the walls being built, we realize that the walls are built in chapter 6, but there's 13 chapters, right? So there's a lot more to cover because it's not just about building a physical structure. It's about restoration of people. It's about building people. The citizenship that occupies the city and their role in that. There is a, a concept of the citizen soldier. Um, I, I read a book uh, by a man named Stephen Ambrose called Citizen Soldiers. And uh, really it was based on World War II. Really fascinating because uh, when you think about our, our military, especially during World War II, um, you've seen posters before of Rosie the Riveter. Uh, there, were, there were people that were just jumping in and and the men were being drafted into the military, and they were going out, and they were serving, and they were volunteering. And the ladies would just volunteer to work at these factories, and they would recycle metal because they needed more metal for the equipment. And, and everyone was pitching in, and there was this, this sense that there was a citizenship, and they were literally fighting for freedom and for their own lives. Nehemiah, when he stationed them uh, against the wall in different places, he, he stationed them with their families. And he said, look at your families and fight for your families. And, and I think that there's something about a citizenship of a city, a citizenship of a church, a citizenship of the kingdom of God that causes us to say, what is my part in this citizenship? Because with citizenship comes responsibility as well as freedoms. We also realize that um, when it comes to this uh, citizenship in Nehemiah's time, some of the people that were serving, uh, when we read about it, they were perfumers. You know, I just think, and, and then other people worked with jewelry and fine metals. And I think that these guys, they're, they're now building, they're, they're taking a, a trowel, they're building with brick and mortar, and then they have a sword. And that wasn't their background. That wasn't uh, what they were raised to do. In, in other nations, they have um, a lot of militia that is gained uh, by hiring people, mercenaries. But in this case, in Nehemiah's time, these were normal, everyday people that were just living life, and they said, hey, we need to build. And when danger was coming, they had to protect um, themselves. Now, part of what Nehemiah does at this point in time is after these walls have, have gone up, now it's all hands on deck. Now it's what is your part? You know, where is your part on the wall? But now as, as the wall is built, what is your part within the city? Because the city was very sparsely populated. Um, it, it would be as though there was a, a big city that's built and very few people living in the city at the time. And I think it's important that we learn this lesson from Nehemiah to have forward faith, to not just look at things as they are, but God, what do you want to do in the future? God, how do you want to work in my family? How do you want to work in my life? How do you want to work in this church? And not simply look at just who is around us right now at this point in time. Not simply look at our family and say, well, this is the extent of it. Because as the future goes, with those eyes of faith, I believe that God is going to do even a, a greater work. And so when it comes to being citizens of the city, uh, we realize that Jesus talked about a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And our citizenship is in heaven. It's the, the kingdom of God. We, we uh, have a, a citizenship maybe as U.S. citizens, but then beyond that, it's the things of God. And so the question is, how does one rebuild the city? How do we rebuild? What do you do to rebuild a, a church, a family? Maybe, maybe you could look at your own life and say, there needs to be rebuilding in my own life. 
Well, one of the things that happens when there's a rebuilding process of a city is community must be built. It's not just about walls and ceilings and paint and lights and those types of things, although that's a part of it. But it's building community. And these citizen soldiers, um, they understood that they each had a part. Now, when citizens build community, when I look at this in Scripture, I realize that God has given us um, some God-given boundaries. And I want you to read with me in Nehemiah 7, verse 1. It says, Then it was, when the wall was built, that I had hung, and I had hung the doors. Um, When the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. First of all, God gives us God-given boundaries. I look at timing of things. These uh, leaders are brought into um, this place in God's timing. And sometimes we could really put the cart before the horse. And what I mean by that is that in in God's timing, he wants us to grow. He wants us to use the gifts he's given to us. And then as he does that, what happens is he gives us more and more responsibility. Um, It's this thing of being faithful with the small things, and then God gives us greater things. So they grow into it. They grow into this, excuse me, this responsibility. But I really believe that when it comes to God's given boundaries, not only, not only um, timing, but also when I think about leadership, I, I think that there are times that we take on things that aren't in, in God's timing. And by doing that, sometimes we could actually set ourselves back. Uh, let me explain this a little bit. When it comes to our limitations as human beings, God desires for us as human beings to have fellowship with him. God desires for us to have fellowship with one another. God wants to use us to reach out to other people. And yet there are times when I have a tendency to take on more than, than I, I, it's kind of like when you go to the buffet, you know, and you see all the food and you think, oh, I could eat all of this. And you put it all on your plate and then you have all this leftover. You didn't think, you know, you'd be full, but you're, you're full. And I think the same thing can be true with our time. And we have to be careful not to, not to uh, allow that pendulum to swing to either side. See, some people are so much about boundaries that if I don't get eight hours and 45 minutes of sleep and, uh, you know, everything, I have to have three meals plus two snacks and I have to make sure that I get my, my 10 minute breaks and, and, you know, everything and, and nothing can get into that boundary. Everything is just, just perfect. And, and anything that's an inconvenience, they say, well, I can't do that because, you know, it's, it's my boundary. But then there's other people that take on so much that there's no, there's no life in it. They, they don't have time to spend with one another. There's no quietness before the Lord. There's no joy in serving God. There's no, there's no peace because everything is frazzled and, and everything is, is pushed so much to the limit that there's no margin. And the simple thing of being at a red light causes the heart to start beating faster because this red light, and then just thinking this red light is a minute and a half and I've been waiting here and I have to get past this red light and we live at this breakneck speed. So we have to know God's given boundaries in our lives both in timing and what it is that God has called us to do. So when it comes to these leaders, I want you to notice with me, it says that the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Now the word uh, had been appointed is in the passive, which means that Nehemiah himself didn't appoint some of these people. So what did he do? He delegated authority 
to other people to appoint other people. As a church grows, as a city grows, as a family grows, <clears throat> ministry and life can't bottleneck with the few. If it bottlenecks with the few, then we can only grow as much as that single individual can grow. And as a single individual, we're all limited. So ministry must be delegated and trained. And what happens in doing that is we're calling people to partner with us. Um, as a pastor, what am I called to do? It says in Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. It doesn't say to do all the work of the ministry. And I think if we do all the work of the ministry, then not only are we going to burn out, but we're also not equipping other people to do the things that God has called them to do. So we must do that, and we must improve in doing that going forward. In every aspect, the singers, the Levites, pastors, worship leaders, um, those that we're building, gatekeepers, ushers, greeters, all of that is a part of, in a sense, the city of God. And, and then it's not only here, but it's outside there. Because when it comes to a training and equipping for evangelism and for the Great Commission, who is called to the Great Commission? All of us. So we're to equip the saints so that you and everyone else that is equipped is able to go out and to live out the gospel, but also to be able to give a reason for the faith that is in them. And that's our goal going forward. And I love this because in Nehemiah chapter 7, it's just this list of names. If you read Nehemiah chapter 7 in a sitting, you're going, man, it just, in fact, look at your Bible. I just want you to see what it looks like. Look at the text. <laughs> look at verses 8 all the way through verse 54. I mean, it's just name after name after name. And it just like, it's like reading a census report. But these people, the Holy Spirit inspired God's word. These people, the Holy Spirit decided to add this. Every single one of these people is important. I don't know them. I don't know what they did, but God knows them and God knows what they did. And so we're going to look at some of these things. So these, these people that were appointed, um, I want you to notice one more thing about verse 2. Notice that in verse 1, it said that the, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites had been appointed, delegated authority. But then for Nehemiah, it says that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother and Hananiah. So Nehemiah himself picks a few of these guys. And as he picks them, we, we know about Nehemiah's brother from chapter 1. Remember when he comes back, he gives Nehemiah the report of what Jerusalem is like. But we also see that there's someone else, Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. And why does Nehemiah give this man authority over the city? What does it say? For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. That is a great description of how to look for leaders. Look for people that, that have been faithful. When you look for people to, to lead and people to serve, the position or the title doesn't all of a sudden cause someone to start doing that. They're already doing that. So I, I believe in Acts chapter 6, when they're choosing the deacons to serve. How did they choose the deacons? I, I believe they were already serving. I, I believe that there was evidence in their lives of faithfulness, and they said, look, this guy's serving. His name's Stephen. You know, this guy's faithful. He has a good reputation. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows the word of God. Let's choose this man. Here, here's another guy. Let, let's choose this guy. And they start choosing these guys because they're already doing those things. So when it comes to serving, just look at the needs around you. How do you get involved? Yeah, talk to us. Uh, 
you know, sign up for the, the uh, newsletter, the email, which, Lord willing, next week I'm going to be able to do this thing called the Calvary Connection that will go out on a weekly basis. So if you want to be a part of that, then make sure that your, your name is on that. And we won't, we won't come to you um, on bikes. You know, we'll, uh, we'll email you, though, but uh, we won't come to your house. Well, I mean, we might just have dinner, but that would be, that would be great. Um, so anyhow, um, <laughs> as Nehemiah chooses this faithful man, he also feared God more than many. God-fearing is not just being afraid of God, not just like realizing how good God is in his awesomeness. The Bible says that the demons believe in God, and what do they do? It says that they tremble. So they have a a fear of God, but that's not what this means. A God-fearing person is someone that respects God to the point and not only understands that God could wipe us out and he's all-powerful, but that he loves us and we want to serve him. It's kind of like my kids they, they don't want to be doing something wrong when I come home, right? They, they want to be doing something right. So there's this healthy um, fear of doing something wrong, but there's also this healthy understanding that, that God loves us. So here's this guy, Hananiah, and what Nehemiah does is he chooses Hananiah and Hananiah to be the leaders of the city, faithful, and they feared God more than many. The next thing when it comes to building community, it's not only God's timing, it's not only appointing leaders because you need leaders to build community, it's guarding the gate. Now let me explain what I mean by that when it says guarding the gate. Read with me what it says here in verse 3. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. So now guards are are appointed. They're at the gate. What are gates? They're entry points. Remember we talked about how when you look around Jerusalem at the fish gate, the fountain gate, you have these different gates. They're different sections of the city. And we looked at how in Santa Cruz County, in a sense, there's different gates, um, churches, places for people to come into worship, places for people to come and learn about God, but there are also gatekeepers. Now, think about a gatekeeper as, uh, I think about ushers and greeters in, in many ways. And my, my hope and prayer for us is that when it comes to practicing hospitality, as we looked at last week, that we don't say, that's the ushers and greeters that are supposed to be friendly. I could just sit here. If there is someone there that is sitting next to you, they're sitting alone, maybe, they're, maybe they haven't met someone, extend a hand, reach out to them. Introduce yourself to them. Try to remember a name. Ask them if there's any prayer requests. Go out to lunch after church. Do things together. See, gatekeepers are those that invite people in. Now, I want you to think about a gate, not like a little, you know, a little picket fence, okay? Don't think of the gates of the city of Jerusalem that way. The, the walls were thick. They were so thick that, that when the walls of Jerusalem got built up later, that that people could actually live in the walls of cities. Like there are rooms within the walls. These are giant gates. And then there was an entryway as you come into these gates in which the city leaders would, would stand there or sit there at the top. And then there was a, almost like an atrium. One gate opens. The people that are visiting or here to do business or here to come into the city, they stop there. There's another gate in front of them, and they're able to be examined. They talk to them, are you here for peace? Who do you want to see? You know, there's this, this sense of a, a gatekeeper. And then if they could be trustworthy and it seems like they're, they're here for good intentions, then you open that second gate and you allow them to come in. 
if we build community, there are some gates that we need to watch. Nehemiah knew that the strength of the city was not the physical walls. They were people that were watching at the gates. There were people that were watching by the homes. And if we think that the security of our home is the lock that is on our door and that is our security, then we're mistaken. Number one, it's God that watches over the city. But number two, it is the people. Because um, in, in Proverbs, it says that we need to guard our hearts for out of it flows the, the rivers of life. The issues of life come out of our hearts. So there should be a gate and there should be a gatekeeper. And as we pray and we seek God for wisdom, there are certain things we need to guard against. First of all, obviously, we need to guard against enemies. If there's an enemy, you need to be aware. Um, it's been said before, you know, you keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. You know, you, you watch them. I'm sure that there were spies in, in the different wars. And even in, in the Bible, we see different spies. You're watching the enemy. You're, you're careful. But we also need to guard against false doctrines. How do we know if something's a false doctrine unless we're in the word of God? How do we know? How do you know? And I was, I want you to check out what I'm saying. <laughs> Read the Bible. You know, don't be surprised that, uh, that wow, you know what? Uh, I was listening to this, but it's not in the, check it out for yourself. And if I start to teach things that are not in this book and against this book, then run for the hills and go find a place that teaches from this book and is in the word of God. But we need to do that not only as a church, but as individuals. Because sometimes real subtle things can sneak into our lives. Doctrines that aren't from the Bible, um, things that aren't from God. I, I used to have a friend that I worked with. He, he was a teacher, and he used to always quote the Bible. You know those guys that quote the Bible but have never read the Bible? He's like, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. And I'm just like, what in the world? Well, the Bible says, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Like, what, where is? Yeah, he would just like quote the Bible, you know, and, and sometimes people can do that. We need to know the word of God and guard against false doctrines, but we also need to guard against worldliness. And by worldliness, I mean becoming, becoming like the, the ethic and the value of this world that sets physical beauty and outward appearance above and beyond inward character, that sets um, riches and success outwardly as the highest goals of achievement, that sets the temporal more important than the eternal, that sets every religion and every opinion of every person on an equal basis when it comes to things of God, we need to guard against those mindsets. We need to guard against that worldliness that can easily creep into our lives and to the church. And then we also need to guard against agendas that are in conflict with the community that God is creating. Uh, we need to guard against agendas that are in conflict with the community that God is creating. Sometimes Christians can have a pet doctrine. And this doctrine is an open-handed issue, which means that there are Bible-believing Christians that love God and are orthodox that might be a little bit different. And that thing becomes the mantra. It, it's like that pet doctrine that, that you just camp out on all the time. And it starts to divide the body of Christ. Now, there is nothing wrong with having distinctives. There is nothing wrong with having specific things about your family and church and individually that you believe about God. And some of those gray areas, those, those shades of differences, I want you to think about if you have been a Christian for a long time, if you have visited other churches and what worship services look like. They look different in different, even different places of the country, right? If you're in the South, how would you be dressing probably? 
more than likely you, you would have a tie, okay? Another thing, when it comes to music, you go to different churches. Different churches have different styles of music. Sometimes people will say, well, that's, that's real worship. And what, what they're saying sometimes is, that's the style of music that I really enjoy or that I really like. And so we need to be careful not to allow things that are not important, they're not the essential things. Those things can sometimes kill fellowship, and those things can sometimes kill community. And we need to be careful about that. Uh, one of the distinctives of Calvary Chapel that I've loved from the very beginning, um, when, I was, when I was a kid, I remember reading the bulletin at Calvary Chapel West Covina, and it said, uh, we are not a denomination, nor are we opposed to denominations, only the, the overemphasis of certain doctrines that have divided the body of Christ. And, and yet we could do the same thing. We could look at someone's brand of Christianity being a little bit different and say, well, I can't fellowship with them because they read this certain version of the Bible or because this is what they believe about tongues or when the rapture is going to happen. And again, we could have our own distinctives, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. We should know what we believe. But at the same time, when it comes to breaking fellowship, these are community killers. Let me share just a few more. Gossip is a community killer. If you want to kill fellowship and you want to kill community, just start gossiping. Just take prayer requests and start sharing those personal prayer requests publicly. Someone tells you, I'm only telling you. Has anyone ever told you that? I'm only telling you. And, and this, this always kind of amazes me when someone tells me, I haven't told anyone else. I'm only telling you this. So okay. And I know if I haven't told someone that, that no one else should know. But then I hear it from someone else. I'm going... You must have told someone else also because, you know, someone else. But, but as far as it depends on me, my prayer is that in the book of James, that tongue, we can't control it. The Holy Spirit, we must yield to the Holy Spirit. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, moment by moment basis, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. I don't have self-control on my own. I need the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that self-control. And so these are things that kill community. But what builds community? What builds community is begin with a few and with vision. In verse 4 it says, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Nehemiah did not build the city, did not appoint leaders thinking these, this is how big our city is going to be. He, did not, he didn't put... Hananiah and Hananiah in these positions, and then these other leaders thinking this is the extent of our city and we're going to just guard it. He had this vision that it would be replenished. He had a vision that it would grow, that there would be community, that there would be new life. And I pray that God gives us that kind of vision. Look at the multitudes. Are there not thousands of people all around us on a daily basis that we pass that don't know the Lord, that need to know the Lord? And I pray that as, as the church grows at this particular place, that it's not about church growth as much as it is about reaching the lost, that our hearts are to go out and to tell people about Jesus who died for them. Tragic thing whenever you hear K.P. Yohannan talk, and, and with tears in his eyes, and you could hear it in his voice, and he talks about India, he says a billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus. Well, I would venture to say that within our own county, there are many people that don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They know the Jesus of TV. They know the Jesus of religion, but they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And they have a misconception. 
And it's even harder in some ways because you have to clear up all the misconceptions that they might already have about Jesus and about religion and about God. And so it begins this community with a few and with vision. Uh, The community was not yet built, but Nehemiah was building this community. And so you lead with the future in mind. Why did I have to sell my Jeep when Deanna was was pregnant with our, our second child? It's because we needed a minivan. Now, whose decision was that? That was my decision. Because at the time, Deanna was pregnant with, with twins. And so we didn't know. We're thinking, okay, I'll, I'll, we're going to have three children. And I'm looking at our car. And, and we need a bigger car because we want a bigger family. So reluctantly, sad story, brought my Jeep to the dealership. And I was teaching at a, at a high school. The son of the owner of that dealership gave my Jeep to one of my students. Oh my goodness, can you, he got an F. So, um, but it, it begins with a few, and this vision is to build. I'm, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. Um, but there's a culture of innovation. You know, Apple has a culture of innovation. They always want to be thinking ahead, because if you just look at the iPad, this is an iPad 1. Now, I love it, it works, it's great, but I sure wish it had a camera so I could do FaceTime with my daughter who has an iPhone, but I don't have that. I have an iPad 1, and, that, and that's fine. But in their innovation, they're always forward-thinking. We need Christians to be forward-thinking. We need to be the ones of that cutting edge of faith to say, God, how are we going to reach people? And just because we reached people this way five years ago doesn't mean that that's the way that you're working today. I want to be fresh and, and, and just say, God, how do you want to work today? What do you want to do now? Now, never leaving the Word of God. Never leading those foundations because those are the things that are are faithful and true. But how that is played out in culture and how that is played out in reaching people, doesn't that change a little bit from generation to generation? I mean, we have a ministry that reaches people all around the world with Pastor Johnny overseeing that. That's just the internet. Now, without the internet, that ministry doesn't exist. And any Christian that says, okay, internet is all evil, we're not going to use it, we're not reaching some of these people. We need to be open. Lord, how do you want to reach people now? How do you want to reach people through me? So that when we build the city and community is built, it's built with that in mind. The next thing that I see is this. When it comes to um, building community, Nehemiah also realizes, and God through Nehemiah does this, the citizens need to build continuity. There's continuity. What is continuity? It means it's continuous. There's a continuity in the body of Christ. We are a continuous chain of believers since Jesus died on the cross. Since Acts chapter 2 and the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, we are a continuous line. There's continuity there. But also within that continuity, the continuity comes because God is the one that is doing the work. If it's just man that does the work, there's no continuity. It's all over the place. But I want you to notice What it says in verse 5, Nehemiah says, Then my God put it into my heart. Continuity is built with the inception of a God thought. The inception of a God thought. What's a God thought? A a God thought is a thought that came from God. Okay, It's a thought that you, you didn't think it up originally. God gave it to you. So God had put it in his heart. And how does this happen? Do you remember that when David was the king, that there was a point in which he numbered uh, the military leaders 
and he, he did a census that God did not command him to do. And we know from, from uh, the Chronicles, who is the one that caused David to do that? It says that Satan moved David to do this. Now, God allowed it to happen, but st- Satan moved David to do this. I, I want you to think about Pharaoh. Uh, when, when God tells Moses, Pharaoh won't, won't let the people go. And so Pharaoh hardened his heart, but eventually who hardened his heart? God hardened his heart. We look at Caesar Augustus. I want you to listen to this in Luke chapter 1. It says, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the August one. He's the emperor. No one is above and beyond Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And so what happens is Joseph and Mary go back to their hometown, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, Caesar Augustus says, this is my idea, but what do we know? Whose idea was that? God's, all the way back from prophecy of the Old Testament. Now, what I'm trying to share with you is this. In Proverbs 16, it says, the preparations of the heart belong to men, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts, your thoughts will be established. God, I'm committing my way to you. Give me your wisdom. Give me your direction. And then you start thinking, and, and God starts to give you these thoughts, and he starts to confirm things. Um, there was a movie out maybe last year or the year before called Inception. The premise of the movie is that there were these guys that were trying to steal something, and they were trying to make someone have a dream. So that in this person's dream, the person would have the dream and think that it was his idea, and yet they were the ones putting the idea into his head. Well, guess what? When we submit our lives to God, we say, Lord, your will be done, not my will. God, what do you want to, do you want me to marry this person? Do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to be involved in this ministry? Do you want me to reach out to these people in, in this way? God, what do you want to do in my family? Do you want our kids to be private school or homeschool or public school? God, we lift up our kids to you. God, we're praying about the mission field. God, what do you want to do? God, how do you want to use my finances? What do you want to do with my job? Am I supposed to stay? And we, we commit these things to the Lord and say, God, what is your will? What is your desire? What is it that you want? The Bible says that when I commit my works to the Lord, my thoughts will be established. And therefore, at that point in time, when we pray about it, we seek godly counsel and we know that it's consistent with God's word. Now what do we do? We take a step of faith. Don't suffer the paralysis of analysis. You know, you're just paralyzed. Is this God? Is this not God? And we're so afraid and we have this thought and we're, we've committed our way to the Lord and it's consistent with the Bible and we've sought godly counsel, but what else do we need? And sometimes we need to take that step of faith so that as we're moving, as you know, have you ever tried to push a car that's dead and, and it's at a standstill? It's hard to get going, right? But have you ever pushed a car that's already going and then someone runs alongside of you and they they just go like this and that thing's already moving and now it's easy to steer because it's already moving. And as Christians, it's the same way. When we're already doing the things that God has told us to do and we're faithful with those things, he could steer us. But when we're so sedentary to say, God, I'm not going to do anything at all for you, I, I I could choose to go buy clothes or I could choose to watch TV and decide where to eat lunch. But when it comes to ministry, I'm not going to do anything unless I see lightning in the sky then we get paralyzed by it. And what Nehemiah does is he says, hey, gather these people together. And so these these teams as well as individuals, because it was God that put it in his heart to do this. This is not Nehemiah's idea. It says in verse 5, 
to gather the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. So again, God put it in his heart to gather. What is a gathering? It's like an ecclesia. What's an ecclesia? It's a church. In Spanish, iglesia. In Greek, ecclesia. It's a gathering of people. So God put it in Nehemiah's heart to gather people together. Why do we gather? We gather to worship the Lord together. We gather to be connected to one another. Otherwise, we could just listen to worship music in the car and listen to messages in that way. But there's something about community. Why, why is it probably more exciting to watch the ball drop in New York on New Year's Eve? Why is it probably more exciting to be there in Times Square than it is to watch Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve from your living room at home? There's something about community. You're around a bunch of... Why do... Why did some of you probably, heaven forbid, but some of you probably went to the Giants parade, you know, downtown San Francisco, and you're, you're down there. I, I just say that because I'm a Dodger fan. I'm sorry. You could throw rocks at me later. But, um, you know, it, it's community. You have a better view from TV. You're more comfortable. You're not fighting traffic. It's just to be around a bunch of other people that like the same thing. See, God wants to gather people together when we worship the Lord. And as a father... Any of you that are parents, you know that there's a special blessing when your whole family's together. See, we have this table and there's these empty seats because our daughter's in college. So she's not with us. But when she's with us, man, there's this this feeling of completeness, this feeling of community and togetherness when we're all together. This is what God desires. So that's why God put it in his heart to gather nobles and rulers and people that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first returned. And I found written in it, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Now read with me in verse 7. And those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, uh, Ramiah, uh, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, um, Mispareth, Bigvi, uh, Nahum, and, and Bana. Now, when it comes to building co- community or continuity, it's important that we honor the past. What has God done in the past? See, it's important for us as Christians to look at how has God worked in the past generation by generation. There's a danger. Now, one of the things that God wants us to do is to lock arms and to be in intergenerational ministry so that kids are ministering along with junior hires and along with high schoolers and college students and and middle-aged people and elderly people and everyone in between. But there is an important thing that we look back at how God has worked in the past as well. And that's when I said we need to be open to what God wants to do now. That is not to the, that is not to the forgetting of how God has worked in the past. It's important to honor how God has worked in the past If we don't do that, then we can't be thankful and we can't glean from past mistakes and past ways that God has worked. And so when you see new generations rise up, sometimes younger people feel like, well, they don't have anything to offer to me. Everything is old. They're five years older than me. So because they're five, I mean, generation gaps are shrinking. And it's like now if someone is 10 years older than you, you don't receive from them because they're 10 years older. It's important that we honor the past. How has God worked? What can I glean from? That's why I love to talk to people that have been married longer than me. I love to talk to people that have been pastors longer than me. I love to talk to people that have been alive longer than me and Christians longer than me because I glean and I learn and there's a richness that comes from that. Then 
It's the individual leaders and people. Now, we're not going to go through all of this today because of time and also because I can't pronounce all of the names. But if you read through this, realize each one of these groups, I want you to see something. Verses 39 uh, through 42, these are the priests. Verse 43, these are the Levites. Verse 44, these are the singers. Uh, Verse 45 and 46, these are gatekeepers. Um, Verses uh, 45 through 50, uh, or 57 through 60, these are servants. And then um, 61 through 65, there were those that needed verification. Now let me close this chapter by explaining a few things when it comes to this. They each knew their role. They each knew their part and how their part had to play in the bigger picture. In ministry and in life, it's important for us not to be so myopic. You know the horses that have the blinders on so that they can only see the track and they can't see the horse to the right or to the left and they call that one track. That's why we call it a one track mind. You know, it's just focused on one track. We're not to do that as Christians. We're to realize that we, we're running this race together. You know, 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, you know, holiness, those things of God, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. We're not running alone. We're running together. And as we run together, I need to run and say, hey, you know what? Keep up. You know, come on, you could do it. And then someone else needs to look back and he's saying, come on, you know, keep up. You could do it. Don't quit. I know you feel like quitting. We run this race together, but we also know our part. What is your part? How are you a part of that citizenry? the citizenship of the kingdom of God. See, as citizens, we all pay taxes, right? Should. <laughs> citizens, we all, we all pay taxes, and, and you should because you're, you're a citizen. As citizens, there are certain requirements. I remember when I was 18 years old and, and that whole thing, they gave us that talk at school where you have to register for the draft because you're, you're a citizen. See, citizenship has privileges. It also has responsibilities, To be a citizen means you're actively involved in the community of God's people. And then you're actively involved not only in the community of God's people, but bringing people into the community of God's people, reaching out to people in the name of Christ. And so all of these people, they served in different ways. The the singers, um, November 29th, Ken, um, Ken and I have been talking about worship. We would love to invite you out if you are a part of a worship team or would like to. And and we want to go over philosophical and biblical things when it comes to leading worship and singing and instruments and sound and all of the technicalities with that. But but we want to lay the heart of it. But we want to invite you because as we as we build the city now, I believe that we're also building for the future. And we're also building so that people are integrated into that. Children's ministry. There are needs in children's ministry. If you have kids. You have children. Pray about being involved, not every Sunday, but some Sundays, to get in this rotation. Uh, If if there is an area where where you just feel like, hey, I have a giftedness, how can I help? Where, 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 Where can I jump onto the wall? There's a place for that in the citizenship of the kingdom of God, and and specifically where God has us stationed right here. The total tally at the end of the, the chapter, we realize that these were leaders, and it is so important to understand this. All the hanging chads were counted, and all of these people, they, they counted. The, the tally was given, and when this tally was given, I want you to see that they responded, and the names of these people that were given had an impact for future generations. 
Did you know that from these people that repopulated Jerusalem, that there were going to be countless... Remember, God called Abraham, and he said, from you, I'm going to multiply your descendants like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the sky. One man's faithfulness, a nation is birthed. I I want you to think back in your lineage. Maybe there's a a great-grandparent that somewhere down the line put a stake in the ground and said, we will serve the Lord. And that started a family lineage, and you're a part of that heritage. For some of you, you are the first. Your parents didn't walk with God. Your family didn't walk with God, but you walk with God. Don't ever feel like you're insignificant because what happens is that God uses you to reach out to others. Even if you don't have children, you have nieces, you have nephews, there's other people around you. Realize this, that God has a plan and a purpose and your name, if you are a Christian, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which means you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that citizenship comes with the incredible privilege of face-to-face time with the king, one-to-one time with the king, talking to him, learning more about him, growing in this relationship with him. But then beyond that, there's responsibilities. Lord, where is my part in the citizenship? And how can you use me to build this kingdom? And so the, the chapter ends with them giving in worship. The heads of the father's house, um, in verse 70, they, they gave to the work. And these different people, they gave. There, was, there were those that were wealthy at the time that gave more than the, the common people. In fact, when you look at the the ratio, the proportion is different. In the New Testament, when it comes to tithes and offerings, it's not a legalistic type of thing where we have to do that because God will accept us if we do. It's a thing of being a part of that citizenship of worshiping the king. So when we give, it's not out of guilt or compulsion. And if you're not a believer, please don't give because I want you to understand this. We're giving in response to God giving to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I am inviting you, if you're not a believer, to become a believer. How do you become a believer? You believe. How do you become a believer? You have faith. You trust and say, God, I don't understand all of these things, but by faith, I believe. And the Holy Spirit, I pray, is drawing you, drawing your heart, saying, I I want that relationship. I want to be a part of a community like that. We want to be a part of a community like that. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful, Lord, that you have called us to be a part of your citizenship. And Lord, I thank you that it's it's by blood, because the blood of Christ has cleansed us from sin. Jesus, my heart this morning is for anyone that doesn't know you. Lord, we know that that's not my heart, that's really your heart conveyed to us. Because God, in your word, it says that you are not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so, Lord, draw your people. Draw those, Lord, that have never taken that step of faith to say, God, I'm a, I'm a believer. God, I, I need you. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. I, I, want, I want your presence in my life. I want to be guided like that. I want to be directed by you. And, Father, as your people, we, we submit to you and say, Lord, we commit our works to you. So we're asking that you would establish our thoughts. We're praying that you would lead us, that you would guide us. We're praying, God, that you would use us. And God, we thank you for the blessing, the honor, the privilege of being able to talk to the King of Kings. Lord, when we give to you, when we worship, when we sing, may it be because of what you've done for us, 
not out of guilt, not out of compulsion. And Lord, I pray that you would show us the needs that are around us. Lift our eyes to see the harvest that is, is ready for harvest. And we pray that you would raise up labors into the harvest. Father, on, on this Sunday, uh, we want to pray for Westside Community Church. Uh, it's their six-month anniversary. Lord, as you have opened up that gate, we pray, Lord, that you would bless them in their time of worship. We pray that you would draw people in and that you would use them in that community. Father, on this Veterans Day, when we remember those that gave so much, Father, we pray that you would help us to look at our own lives and say, God, we want to give back to you. Not because we have to, but because we get to, because it's a privilege. Lord, we thank you. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask that you would bless the tithes and offerings, God, as a as an offering unto you. Lord, we thank you that you are the provider and we trust you for that, for all of our needs, both physical and spiritual. And we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.